Welcome to the Attentive Heart Podcast, where we explore how an integration of mind, body, and spirit make us whole and enable us to become more compassionate to ourselves and to others. I'm your host, John Grabovich. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious, like, have you been able to see a correlation between, say, your practice, uh, your time in solitude and in contemplation? Like, has that been the reason why you've been able to not get that caught up in the things that would maybe drive someone else crazy, let's just say, or, or, maybe, <laughs> or maybe it drove yourself crazy before? I mean, like, have you seen some type of evolution of some sort there or? You know, that's funny because I didn't think of it that way, but because I have a lot of friends and even family members who are who are Buddhists and how they don't get phased by things. And I thought that's like all the meditation, so particularly Zen Buddhists, which is the most kind of strict right. kind of uh, meditative practice within Buddhism. And how they they sort of don't sweat the small stuff. I know that's such a cliche. That sounds so California, right? But um, <laughs> it's 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 true. But I hadn't comparatively spent a lot of time around Christian contemplatives until pretty recently when I started to write about them mm-hmm. a little bit, and I realized it was very similar. It was like it wasn't that stuff was rolling off their backs. They still got upset, you know, but it was that they were so much, it was so balanced out by their grace, graciousness and graciousness in the sense of grace being shared, Mm. which I think is something that we also take for granted. Like you don't think about somebody doing that, like that they're sharing grace with you, that they're sharing God's grace with you. Um, and yeah, so that, that's been, I think my own sort of like, I still, yeah, some, something still really upset me. Some things still get under my skin, but that I'm, I'm more likely to kind of say, this is just part of life rather than this is how it's going to be forever. And part of that is that contemplative practice because some of contemplation is just letting go of things, right? That that's, you know, to, um, it's, it's, it's just, you know, what is the verse from, from scripture where it's like, don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, take care of itself. Like, yeah, yeah that's been a real mantra for me in the, in the pandemic. Like I can't do anything right now that will control what's happening tomorrow, but what I can do right now can control what's happening right now. And my cat just came in and started demanding attention and I I can give it to him and he's happy right now, but like, who knows how he'll feel in five minutes. Right, 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 right. It's it's all the art of being attentive to the present, to to the, to the present. You know, I, uh, was just just thinking about this whole pandemic thing, I think brought so many of us into this realization that we are really not in control. Like, like everything we planned for just went up in smoke overnight. But, you know, I just fear like there was such an urgency to get back to normal, to get everyone vaccinated and just kind of 
back to life as we knew it before, it's like, geez, did we miss this opportunity to reevaluate uh, our own lives and, and what it means to be present in the moment? Like, I, I almost fear that. I mean, like, we both teach. I teach high school. You teach college undergrads. I mean, what what are you what are you seeing with your students? I mean, how how have they been able to process, let's say, the pandemic and do you see them being more open to just living life that's in a more contemplative space, being more present to the moment, not worrying about tomorrow? I mean, what do you pick up? Well, no, they're much more anxious, unfortunately, <laughs> that I think that our young adults are, there's a, there's a real mental health crisis. I don't know if you're seeing this yeah. with your high school students. You probably are. Like, Definitely. there's a real... Yeah shortage of resources on top of an increased demand for resources that's coming from a real place. The anxiety is that, you know, sense of like things that I thought were guaranteed, like um, for us, our students, they're at UC Berkeley, they worked so, 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 so hard to get in. Mm -hmm. And then they get there and it's like, oh, wait, now I'm with everybody else who worked so, 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 so hard to get in. And we're in competition with one another. So in fact, we were talking in class on Tuesday about scarcity mentality and that idea that there's not enough resources to go around and that they're being pitted against one another for those resources. Um, and that that's how capitalism wants us to be. It wants us to be fighting one another for for um, for resources rather than assuming that there there is enough out there for everyone, and I think that's true, um, you know, spiritually too. That there's this idea that some people are really good at spirituality and religion, and that they get all the spiritual resources and everybody. That there's a limit. It's sort of like God's grace is sort of like finite. I don't know. It's like this Calvinistic thing that Americans get into. Um, that's a whole tangent, but I think our students, our, our young adults are really, really struggling, really looking for community, but also don't know how to find it, are not sure, like, even how to, one of the things I see a lot is, like, how do they, they even struggle to be in a course discussion because they haven't had practice with that, Right. you know, um, that's really hard because I, I was actually talking to a friend. Oh, another friend is a friend who's a Quaker pastor. Nice. <laughs> Talking about contemplatives, right? So yeah. like he he and his wife are the co-pastors of Berkeley Friends, which is uh, the large Quaker community in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And he too was saying that like it's just so so it's so hard because there's so much um of like we should get together. And then, so like, that was like, and then nothing happens, right? Like, and so right. we're still kind of saying that a lot to each other, like, we should get together and do this. And there's this push to do that. But there's this anxiety, too, of like, how do we even talk to one another? How do we even communicate in ways that aren't just at a superficial level of artifice? That's, that's a struggle right now for real yeah i mean it, it seems mm -hmm. to go back to the need for some type of home church almost i mean and not mm -hmm. in a formal 
sense or not that a, a home church would be ever even necessary be considered formal but it you know I, as you were saying that i was thinking yeah there is a, this value of like coming weekly for like church gatherings but of course we've been so just so wounded by a lot of things that happened in the church that we're like thinking like well that might be the last place i might want to go uh, mm -hmm. on sunday or whenever but like there is a need to gather you know yeah um and and i don't really know what that should look like right now. I mean, um, I always ask my students every Monday, like, you know, what they did over the weekend and either they're just not telling me the truth, but I do get the sense a lot of them don't do much, you know? And so like, I'm wondering like, what does that mean? Um, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make generalizations. I know there's lots of students who are very social and whatnot, but, but not to have like some type of, grounding that you come back to that's that's that is home but is beyond just say your house you know uh, I, I i don't know what that looks like today but it, it definitely seems to me to be something that that is needed um mm -hmm. in order to kind of foster some yeah. type of genuine community of some sort yeah i think we've lost that sense of community as um a, de a deliberate thing, like something that you cultivate mm -hmm. and to cultivate, you know, to grow, right? So that you grow a community, you don't just stumble into it or your community doesn't have to just be the people who live in your dorm or the people who go to your, the 5 p.m. mass. I mean, that is your community, but that deliberate, slow building of community we've that's that takes a long time like that building it's like becoming friends with somebody over years rather than um you know just meeting and deciding like we're going to be friends just because nobody else here likes the same things we do right. Um, right, right. <laughs> but um but that that has so many rewards it's like being in any kind of relationship that is that you put a lot of time into and that includes your your faith relationships it's much more rewarding when you're patient with it but our society is impatient and younger people are more impatient right just because of the nature of of feeling like things need to move quicker but it's really funny i asked my students today we do a check-in once a week and just kind of go around the room and like you know do one fun thing like last week it was um where are you from and what's your favorite thing about where you grew up and this week it was what's one thing you're looking forward to that you know just even if it's a little thing like mm -hmm. i'm gonna go get ice cream or and like three people in my class said nothing yeah, and crazy. i just thought oh no really yeah. so yeah that was really sad I mean, and do you think you think that they just don't want to vocalize it do you think that's an issue i mean that's something i'm always wondering like are they just yeah are they doing this stuff, but they just don't want anyone else in the class to know? I mean, like, you know, I don't know. We're in midterms, so that could honestly be true. <laughs> like, right. I said, are you looking forward to midterms being over? And then what's? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm looking. And when when students said, I'm looking forward to the end of this class. <laughs> oh, wow, that's nice. <laughs> well, but I'm glad I, you're looking forward to something. <laughs> I said, I said, me too. And then we both laughed. So. <laughs> but I think it is this fear of, on the one hand, they, they have a lot of pressure to be vulnerable and like talk about their emotions. 
but they also have a hard time being vulnerable and talking about their emotions just like the rest of us because it's scary and it's and you know spirituality is emotional and we can't separate emotions from that so yeah it's kind of a mess right now for anybody who's emerging from the pandemic but i think we're particularly going to see how this impacted um people who were teenagers it, it seems very dramatic the impacts on them yeah i mean as it is i mean all this contemplation stuff and all this <laughs> spiritual stuff that we talk about i mean leads you to want you to be a person of hope so you look at this and you're like okay bad situation but where's the light in the situation i mean have you been able to search that out or is there something that you say well it may be bad but maybe i need to reframe this or look at this a different way because i see something that maybe was unexpected because of all this it's kind of like when you have a tragedy or an illness and you you make it through that and then you have another one and then you have another one and then you have another one mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's not that it gets easier it's just that you become and i don't want to say resilient because i think that gets uh, that gets tossed off as kind of like you know oh you're just building resilience but what happens is that you develop more tools and contemplation for me is one of those solitude has become much more important to me as a result of having a lot of difficult experiences like i found that i process things better in solitude including spiritual spiritual things mm -hmm. um recently i read something that said you know being an adult and it's so funny when people talk about adulting as right, a verb right. yeah <laughs> but being an adult is sort of knowing that every year three or four really hard things are going to happen and it's so true right and that right. you just adjust to that and that doesn't mean life doesn't have joy and rewards on the other hand right so like you know, when I finally got COVID um, after dodging it for a couple of years, I was like, well, this is it, you know, like, <laughs> gonna die. <laughs> because, like, I'm gonna die because that's what we've been told for, you know, two, two years. You're, you're gonna die. And, it, and just sort of like looked at myself saying that and said, and I just laughed, like, no, I'm not. I mean, maybe I will, right? Like, I don't know. But that awareness of our mortality that awareness of the brevity of life that memento mori thing as a contemplation it, it it gets easier as you go through more and more difficult experiences so when you're young like our students and you're not used to that mm -hmm. it's it's much more difficult to realize that you have a lot to celebrate and be joyful and be thankful for and to look forward to in addition to life is hard right yeah. um so yeah so it's too bad i really hope that those students who said they weren't looking forward to everything go get some ice cream tonight yeah, i was gonna say i mean like you, you got you gotta hit up yoga park at least i mean come on i know I mean, right yeah every day there's a different flavor come on <laughs> New so well that's great you know all right so maybe maybe we could just just end this by by switching gears completely i, I just want to 
talk a little bit about music. This is something that we also have a, a common appreciation for. I know we have a common appreciation 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 for uh, Bob Dylan and whatnot. But mm -hmm. I mean, I just am more curious about given everything you talked about in the the midst of this conversation, like uh, how has music played a role in your spiritual evolution, or has it, or or do you bring that into your practice in any way? Um, yeah, absolutely. I um, have been really lucky in the last few years to write about a few times, and I hope to continue to do so. The intersections of music and spirituality, and particularly with, with singer-songwriter types, because I think there's something about that vocation of being a singer-songwriter, whether you're Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, even more contemporary people like Billie Eilish or Steve Lacey, mm -hmm. um, who are kind of like picking up the torch for that, um, that you live very closely to your music and that you you write songs as a, as a voc it's vocational, right? It's a ministry, it's about healing people's brokenness it's that tikkun olam uh, jewish idea of bringing the broken world back together i think that music can do that um also like music is very close to us um in the sense that it can create a spiritual experience so i can hear something anything from Bach's mass and b minor you know to the Bob Dylan um, Rolling Thunder Review bootleg album, yeah. which I think is like a I great spiritual album because oh, totally. so good. it's so much about being with the audience. Like yeah. you can hear how much the audience was alive at the, at those shows. And so we feel in communion, like it, so you can listen to music when you're alone. And then you can feel connected to the musician, to other people who are listening, and you can listen to, and you can go to a concert and have that collective experience. And both of those things are so joyful. And like the absence of live music during COVID was really difficult <clears throat> for um, in my house because I'm married to a performing musician. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely, we went, um, I think it was like the first summer out of COVID, we went to an outdoor concert. Everybody had to wear masks. Everybody was sitting far apart, mm -hmm. but it was like so overwhelming to be hearing live music again. Like right. just everybody started crying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Because wow. it was just, it was like the first time, you know, you hugged your mom or something after the pandemic. It was just like, wow, this is this collective thing. And I don't think it's a coincidence that like <clears throat> throughout scriptures in every religious tradition, um, people are always singing and dancing to worship the the deity, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, and some people do it in um clown makeup with a big hat like Bob Dylan. <laughs> 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 like when he was in his rolling thunder years or with a wig like uh, he does in the in the must be santa video <laughs> oh so oh my gosh everything you've been saying here is just making me so happy i mean because it's, it just doesn't get much better i mean come on you know <laughs> 
if Bob doesn't show us Jesus, I don't know who does. <laughs> <laughs> in as many disguises, you know. Um, you know, all right. So, you know, last thing, I mean, uh, thanks so much for this time, Kaya. And and maybe you could just give us a, a little insight on your the book you're working on. Maybe, you know, give us a plug for it. Uh, because sure. I think the topic is so pertinent to like everyone's life. We all have someone <laughs> who we need to forgive. We all have someone who we don't want to forgive. So mm -hmm. um, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about it. So what the book has, I'm almost done, knock on wood, um, I'm almost done with the first draft. And interestingly, the journey of the book went from I think I'm going to write about people who think that they need to forgive other people as individuals to the, that's some of the book, but also to how do we come to peace with institutions that we feel have failed us, whether that's a church or your country or the school where you work or um, and the music industry or anything where uh, how do we differentiate much like you were asking earlier about the difference between the church and the people in the church and how do we come to an understanding that that forgiveness is it's a process it's not something that just happens once it's like an ongoing process that it involves a lot of um making amends and a lot of repentance work and also how um, sometimes you just can't bring yourself to forgive someone and that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person mm -hmm. that that is probably indicative of the the harm is just not it's just too great and that that's okay you know and that god still you know, doesn't, God doesn't turn God's back on you because of that. So, yeah. So I hope that people will read it with an open mind mm -hmm. and that they will be willing to, um, <laughs> yeah, that they'll be willing to think about that forgiveness isn't a one and done and it's not an easy and it shouldn't be easy. It should be hard, hard work. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I can't wait wait to read it. I mean, uh, and all your other books, I, I think, are all worth the time to read. I haven't read all of them, but every single article and, and book I have read of yours, is, I've always found to be a great delight. So thanks for, for uh, being here with me today. And um, maybe this will be the first of uh, many of these types of conversations. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Attentive Heart Podcast. We hope that you were able to find it helpful in your spiritual journey and practice. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Sunday to Sunday Productions and The Witness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and share it with friends. <laughs>